Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. Here on the podcast, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, for lots of free resources for teachers. Download any and all of them right on the homepage, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 156. So I'm recording this on Monday, November 8th, 2021, and it's the Monday after we turn the clocks back. So I don't know about you, but... um, I actually, this year, am having a really cool reaction to turning the clocks back in that today, I feel like I gained a whole hour of work at my desk because instead of getting up at 6.30, I got up at 5.30 in the morning, which really was 6.30 in the morning, and um, I just kind of stuck with it. I just stayed awake and got up and did everything. And um, so I'm actually really enjoying it. It is a bummer that here in the East Coast, I'm in Boston, it does get dark early, but um, I'm just committing to being outside every day, going for a run, going for a walk. I walk the dog multiple times a day, just really enjoying the, the sunshine. So I hope that you do well during this kind of weird transition. And I know it gets a really bad rap. And I think that, um, you know, keep up with your yoga practice and just do things, be outside as much as possible, do things to, to keep you moving and in a positive mindset. So I wanted to also let you know that last week was my first full week of offering you all uh, free 30-minute yoga classes, uh, virtual, of course. And so I wanted to let you know that if you're interested in joining in on any of my online virtual classes, every week on my website, you'll see the new schedule is posted for the week. It's on the virtual class page. And I will just tell you a funny story for any of you who were with me this past Friday, my mom was in the class and I was so excited. She had emailed me during during the day and said she'd be there. So um, if any of you are, um, you know, with friends or family or, you know, these classes are just good for anybody. So you have kids at home, uh, you know, maybe they'll join in with you. Of course, if you want to do this by yourself as a way to just take time for your own personal uh, self-care, that's always an option too. I just throw that out there um, as it's definitely meant to be 30 minutes uh, of just moving and stretching and strengthening and maybe learning a little bit. I'll be sharing different themes with each class. And because I have my skeleton nearby, I can just do a quick little intro at the beginning of the class if it's more focused on anatomy so that you'll leave 
with a little bit of maybe new learning. For you teachers out there, you'll definitely learn about different ways to sequence, different ways to add anatomy-based cueing to your teaching, um, because that's the focus of how I teach. I'm not saying that it's a way that you might want to teach yourself, but if you are interested in, in approaching your yoga teaching that way, um, I certainly offer myself not as an example, but maybe just as a way for you to get some different ideas around sequencing and cueing. So that is that. The other thing I wanted to let you know is on November 17th at four o'clock Eastern time, I'm gonna be hosting a brand new workshop with a brand new theme. And the theme is going to be concepts in exercise science and anatomy that are helpful for yoga teachers to know. And I'm gonna pull from my background as a personal trainer and really share um, several different themes that don't, or concepts that oftentimes don't get shared with yoga teachers as part of their 200 hour training in anatomy. And even in 300 hour trainings, they often are not um, discussed because they really live more in the exercise science industry and not the yoga industry. However, it's the body, it's movement, and we are teaching movement. So these concepts are important to understand. So the registration page will go live this week. And I just wanted to let you know that that's coming. If you've been to some of my workshops in the past, this is not something I've ever shared before. So this is brand new. So, um, so that's going to be coming up. And um, the other thing I wanted to let you know is if you're interested in any of the myofascial release tools that I um, use, um, I just recently purchased uh, a really cool product called a Theragun, which is percussive therapy. I've got a brand new shop with me page on my website and it links to an Amazon page I created where I have a whole bunch of products that I've purchased for my own personal use, uh, books that I like, just different things that you might see and you might also uh, find something that you like. Um, now, full disclosure, I do get a really small, when I say small, a super small commission for any purchases made uh, on these products. But for me, I look at it more of, it's a way for me to share things that I love, especially just different things that I'm buying for myself, sneakers and you know, scarves and yoga products and that kind of thing. Um, and also sometimes people do ask me, what block should I get? What this should I get? And so it is a way for me to share that info. So that's on the shop with me page on barebonesyoga.com. So having said all of that today, I want to introduce you to another guest. I have been really on a roll these days and I'm so grateful to all the people who have come onto the podcast in the past month and a half. This week is no different. I have um, a new guest coming on the show, and it's actually a yoga teacher that I recently met uh, virtually. And I'm so glad that she reached out because this is always such a fun way to really learn about uh, someone, learn about what they're passionate about, and give them an opportunity to share that. And I know I'm always thinking of you, the listener, in terms of you know, who are the kinds of people that have information that you might be interested in? And I know when you listen to this episode by Kelly Smith or with Kelly Smith, you will really, really love this. So let me tell you a little bit about Kelly. Kelly uh, comes to us via Minneapolis, Minnesota. You'll hear um, 
you'll hear that on the podcast. She is a globally renowned yoga and meditation teacher, and she's the founder of a company, her own company called Yoga For You. And she also has a podcast and it's called um, Mindful in Minutes. And she also has a spinoff podcast called Meditation Mama. She has over 6 million downloads and her podcast spans 181 country. So she's got a broad reach. And um, she and I talk about several different things that she is really, um, really focused in on in terms of how she trains teachers in her own training programs that she runs. And she has, I don't want to say necessarily a unique approach, although it is unique, of course, because it's her way of presenting the information. It's very, very compelling and interesting because she'll talk about this a little bit. She goes into uh, meditation uh, pretty deeply. However, she provides a way for her students to access meditation in a really um, consumer-friendly, easy-to-consume uh, way. And I don't want to spoil it for you, so I'm going to let you listen to the, to the episode to hear about that. She runs her own teacher training programs where she trains teachers on the techniques that she uses around meditation, around visualization, and we go into a lot of that in the episode uh, that you'll hear today. She has uh, just a really wonderful, um, very approachable way about her, and I know that when you listen to this episode, you're really going to feel that. So when you check um, the podcast notes for this episode, you'll see how you can reach Kelly. Uh, she talks about that a little bit at the end in terms of how you contact her, how you can follow her on Instagram. She's a great follow. She's got a lot of really good information in there for you. So without uh, any more intro from me, <laughs> we're going to launch right into that episode. My conversation, I had this last week with yoga teacher, Kelly Smith. Let's roll that tape. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to my little recording closet. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's fantastic. Everybody has their own little spaces. So true. that's it's great. True. And you know, we're only going to use the recording, so it doesn't yes. matter. So that is great. I have, if we had to use the video, I have a better background, but if we're just using audio, this is where the best audio is. So that's perfect. Sounds great. <laughs> so thank you so much for reaching out. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. Of course. I think this is always, you know, sometimes the best ways to find guests for my podcast is just the organic way when somebody sees or hears something and they reach out. And so I love that you sent that note and, you know, it's just always nice to kind of expand, uh, you know, your circle of friends and colleagues and that kind of thing in the yoga teaching community. So I really, I really appreciate you taking the initiative to do that. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. How yeah. is, uh, how's Boston today? Boston is good. We're um, heading into the deep of the fall. So it's definitely a little cooler, but, um, but it's been, it's been really, really nice. We had a, a pretty bad bout a week ago with a lot of rain. Uh, but, but now it's just like typical fall weather. Where are you coming in from? Uh, Minneapolis. So oh, okay. 
So it's deaf. It's full fall here as well. Yeah. 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 Very it's, cool. It's beautiful though. Yeah. I love the fall. When you live yeah. in a place with four seasons, like we do, it's like, yeah. you can really appreciate the beauty of the fall. Very much so. Very much so. So, um, you know, we can just kind of dive right in. You know, I feel like we've gone back and forth through email a couple of times. So I have a little bit of a background and I took a listen to a recent interview you had uh, on another podcast. I can't remember the name of it. Um, maybe you had even linked to it in one of your emails. Um, but I try to co- always like leave the bulk of things for discovery when I yeah. meet people, especially if it's someone that I don't know uh, before beforehand. Um, so I, I, I just really don't have a good sense of your background. And I'd love for the listeners for you to just start out sharing a little bit about who you are. We know where you are and what you do. Yeah. So I'm Kelly Smith and I'm a yoga and meditation teacher. I'm also the founder of yoga for you, which is a location independent yoga and meditation school. So I, I mean, anytime you have to, and I'm sure, you know, Karen, that you can relate to this too. It's like you tell your story and it's never linear and you're like, where do I even start? (laughs) Like where's truly the beginning. Um, but I, so I kind of came to yoga the way many people come to yoga, which is for a good stretch, right? And I um, used to be a Shavasana skipper. I will admit it. I'm a reformed Shavasana skipper. And when I was younger, so when I was like 14, 15, I discovered yoga as cross training for my sports. I was an athlete. My mom would have to, you know, drop me off at yoga class at the gym. She'd work out and, you know, we'd, we'd meet up after because I couldn't drive. And I always had kind of like just thought of yoga as like a good stretch. And it wasn't until my mom then was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer and she, and she is in remission now. So this story has a happy ending. Um, but it wasn't until I was her primary caregiver and we really had to explore some of the softer sides of yoga, like Mm -hmm. meditation, like yoga, nidra, restorative yoga, that I was kind of introduced to this idea that yoga is more than poses. It's more than, you know, a stretch. And I'm sure so many of your listeners, you know, have had students come in the, in the door, you know, being like, Oh, I just want a good stretch. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was kind of introduced into the softer side and, um, the more introspective side of yoga that I was really inspired, but I did not pursue teaching for quite a while after that. Um, one, cause I was only 16 at the time, but two, I didn't think it was like a real job you know? And, uh, and so, you know, I, I checked the boxes and, you know, went to college and found a nice man at said college and then got a, a job working in business management. And, um, and when I graduated college, I decided to take my first teacher training, maybe to teach a little bit, mostly just to do something for me. And it wasn't until then I, I moved to, um, a very small one bar, one Walmart town of Missouri that, and I had to leave my job and all of this, it was for my husband's medical school. And it wasn't until I kind of was forced to leave everything behind and be like, well, what do I want to do? And that's when I decided to pursue teaching yoga. And that was kind of, I guess, um, what kicked off, you know, mm-hmm. all of this, the first iteration of yoga for you was a, a physical studio in that town. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had to move many times for that. So after I moved from Missouri to somewhere else, I had to take my whole business location independent. And that's where I really fell in love with teaching teachers. So doing continued ed trainings, mostly in 
yoga nidra, restorative yoga and meditation. It's also when I started my podcast, this is about four years ago. Um, it's called mindful in minutes and it's just a collection of guided meditations. So people can just put their headphones in, pick a meditation that has a topic that resonates with them and just click play and, and practice. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. And, and a few moves later, uh, a baby later, several, you know, years, a couple more wrinkles here we are now with the current iteration of yoga for you, which is the podcast, um, meditation and yoga retreats, and then, um, the continued ed trainings as well. Interesting. So one of the things that I picked up on when you were describing it is when you say location independent, can you, I mean, I, I think I know what that means. I, I would just love to explore that a little bit more because I think, especially right now with so much of what we're doing being virtual, it might be of interest as a business model for people. Absolutely. And yeah, I kind of, um, was doing what we're doing now before it was in fashion, if you will. Um, but I also, I came to it. Yeah. I came to it out of necessity as I'm sure many of your listeners are now. And many of the people, you know, the yoga teachers that I've taught, um, you know, all of a sudden we find ourselves and we're like, Oh shoot, I can't, you know, I'm in lockdown or I'm quarantined. I can't, you know, teach in my studio anymore. What do I do? Or I have to go online. And I did it because I knew I was going to be semi like nomadic. Um, I mentioned my husband was in medical school. If, you know, if, if you or any of your listeners have lived that life, it can, you know, it's an interesting path for sure. Um, but I knew when we had moved to Michigan, I wouldn't be there for long, maybe a year and a half. And then we'd mm -hmm. be moving somewhere else. We didn't know where. So for me, location independent means that I run a yoga and meditation school um, that doesn't have a physical address. And so what that looks like for me is, um, pre COVID, it looked a lot like traveling and doing pop-ups. So going to other studios and offering, um, you know, continued ed trainings, um, doing retreats, things like that, and then doing some virtual online work as well. Mm -hmm. Now the post COVID also post motherhood era, it does look a little bit more, um, online. And so keeping some of the trainings, having some virtual, um, iterations of that, and mm -hmm. then also doing, um, you know, focusing on things like podcasting, doing like virtual retreats. And then I've just started to then dive a little bit more back into like um, in person, like traveling retreats kind of mm -hmm. going forward, but that's what location dependent looks like for me is running a full-time yoga and meditation school without an address. Right. Right. No, I, I think that's really, um, certainly mobile and certainly now a really good option for people to, to think about. So tell me, um, I mean, you talked about this a little bit, I I'd love to just explore a little bit more briefly, um, your focus on restorative yoga nidra and meditation. You know, so many yoga teachers are focused on kind of the fast flow and physical asana. And, you know, obviously everybody knows the eight limbs and knows that there's different aspects. I, I just, um, I love your kind of commitment to the niche that is I mean, you described it as the softer side, although, you know, I think we could make a case for it being, yes. you know, not to say to dilute it or anything. So tell me a little bit about what does that look like? I mean, does it, does it look like there's, I mean, certainly restorative yoga has a component that is poses and practice. Tell me a little bit, or tell us a little bit about how that looks in terms of, and what made you focus exclusively on that? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and when I say so, I think it's important to clarify, like you did that softer side, I, I feel more like by soft, I mean, more of that kind of like feminine, like moon, yeah. um, maybe more of the somatic kind of sensory. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. like the turning inward, the part of your yeah. heart. Like I think of that as like kind of softer instead of like, yeah. you know, like the fire of like, right. uh, which right. don't get me wrong. I love some good fire. Sure, I love some sure. good tapas. Right. But yes, I, I really, really fell in love and I, I started as like a power vinyasa yeah. and also yoga sculpt teacher. Mm -hmm. And I just found, so a few things, one, when I had my studio, the population that I was teaching, they were there, you know, maybe, you know, for a good stretch. So they were there. Cause you know, their doctor said, you really need to get your blood pressure under control. They had goals. Like I want to be able to put my shoes on, um, by myself. I want to be able to, you know, keep up with my kids or whatever it is, right? They did not want or need that hot, fiery power. They weren't worried about, you know, adding a chaturanga to every single sun salutation and climb up, you know, the ladder. And they, they, they didn't need that. They didn't want that. So I almost first kind of revisited it um, out of necessity because I firmly believe that as teachers we're there to serve our students. And so if I was going to best serve my students, I needed to have the tools to do that. So that looked like doing, you know, some gentler practices, some restorative. When I did another teacher training, did 300 hour training. Um, part of that training was yoga nidra. Mm -hmm. And I found the concept of it to be incredibly compelling. And this idea of being able to practice yoga with the one pose, right? You're in Shavasana the entire time and being able to take someone to a journey to their true self is something I've always found very compelling. And also something that I like to really dedicate myself to is helping others to kind of access that, that soul space. Mm -hmm. So for me, if we're trying to do the soul work, we're trying to connect with the true self, Atman, whatever you care to call it, mm -hmm. that is probably not necessarily going to be found through chaturangas. Mm -hmm. It's, you have to, you know, practice pratyahara. You have to withdraw your senses. You have to turn inward. You have to, in a way, leave the physical body elsewhere so that mm -hmm. you can dive into the non-physical body. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to like yoga nidra and restorative yoga and meditation, um, I just like giving people the tools to want to be able to kind of turn the noise down on life. Mm -hmm. We're just always a do more, be more, mm -hmm. go, go, go. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so many people that are doing a wonderful, beautiful job of giving people those incredible power vinyasa practices they're craving. Mm -hmm. I felt like I could serve people better Mm -hmm. by giving them the other side of that. And it's also something I find a lot of fulfillment in by helping them access that deeper space. And so I always think, like I said, you know, as teachers we're there to serve our students, but also like, if it makes you come alive, right. that's what helps to avoid burnout. And right. you don't feel like you're, you know, trying to give what the market wants. Like you're teaching from that, again, that authentic soul space. And that comes through in your teaching as well. Yeah. And I, as I'm listening to you describe it, I, I am hearing tones of that, you know, connect to your authentic, true way of being and express teaching through that lens versus, as you just said, kind of doing what you think is going to be attractive to people. And I, I, I find that 
so, so important to bring up for teachers because I think oftentimes teachers are driven by things outside themselves and they're afraid to really connect to a particular niche area of teaching or presenting the practice, even if it is what feels most um, authentic to them. And so, I mean, obviously you've done that um, and that's great. And I think I'm so glad it's come up because I think it's a good validation for people to hear like, yes, listen to your inner voice and how you wanna teach and follow that wherever it takes you. Um, and not only will you be happier, you'll, you'll provide a better service. Absolutely. And I, I always try to tell my students to like, there's a yoga teacher for every student, but not every student is for every yoga teacher. And I think it's important to remember that, that often we try to appeal to everyone. We end up appealing to no one and that, and, and I can't speak for anyone else except for, for me, but on my journey of kind of, you know, carving out my little, you know, corner of, of yoga and meditation and even the internet, there's a lot of fear around that of, um, you know, what, what if people don't like it, right. Of, of fear of not being accepted or fear of people thinking, you know, what I was doing was weird. Or I feel like we all kind of have this fear of like, Oh, what if I throw the party and no one shows up? And I think it's so important that if you're feeling like called to explore something that maybe feels a little bit different, mm -hmm. that it's okay to lean into that fear, right? There's, there's fears that keep us alive. Like my fear of shark infested water, there's fears that keep us from living, which may be a fear of failure that keeps us from pursuing something that could be pretty powerful and transformational. And mm -hmm. so I, I think that it's important to remember, like if you're a yoga teacher and you're listening to this and you're thinking about maybe dabbling, trying something new to go for it and to give it a try. If you're, you know, not everyone is going to like what you do or want what you do. Right. Right. That's just, that's just, that is what it is. I mean, there's right, people, exactly. some people don't even care for Beyonce and if she cannot make everyone happy, right. who can? So right, exactly. you just have, someone's always not going to like what you're doing, but you may have the potential to bring something new and fresh and really powerful to your students by pursuing what feels good and in alignment to you. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's interesting about this particular niche is if you were to look at it objectively, maybe not through the yoga lens, just like the consumer view, you might think it's sort of countercurrent because everybody is so fast paced and focused on multitasking and out of body experiences. And yet the focus that you have is countercurrent to that. It's like, hey, slow down. You know, here I have this podcast that's all meditation content for, for the most part. Yep. And in my focus of my teaching is slower and restorative. And so I guess on some level, were you afraid that maybe, I mean, I took a look at your Instagram, you have tons of followers. So you're obviously making a connection to people. Um, and I'm sure, you know, your trainings and classes and things like that have a good, a good following. So can you share a little bit about how you make that accessible for people in what you say is a culture where a lot of that is not really on people's priority list? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's interesting. I think it's more on people's priority list than we think. So something that I've really come across is that yes, society and culture and everything seems to be telling us, you know, faster, do more, have more, all of that. A common thread that I often see with everyone that I work with, people that I interact with, 
is that even if society is telling us to do that, to a degree, it feels empty. And we know that we are yearning for something authentic and deeper. And we also, I mean, we are such a stressed, sick, burnt out society. Mm-hmm. And and we know that. But I think where sometimes um, teaching like my comes in is that we don't know what to do about it, mm-hmm. right? We may know that yeah, like I am just, you know, go, 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 go. And I find a big portion of my audience tends to be women and tends to be busy women. Not that we aren't all busy, Mm -hmm. but you know, even a lot of people like you and I, maybe they run businesses or they just, they have a lot of things on their plate. They Mm -hmm. know that they can't sustain what they're doing. They know that that's not like the end all be all. They don't feel necessarily fulfilled by it but they don't know what to do. And I think sometimes that's where something, you know, even with like my podcast that people being like, huh, this is something. And and I tend to really kind of root my teaching. um, I don't even necessarily know how to articulate it, but I, I try to just take a very kind of like simple grounded approach, right? So my meditations will be a 10 minute meditation to, you know, help you fall asleep at night or to reduce your anxiety or to build some confidence, right? Like I, I'm not going to take you to like another planet via meditation. I could, and sometimes I do that myself, but Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I like to kind of meet people where they're at and just be like, Hey, like you're not, you're so stressed. You're not sleeping. Take these 12 minutes and just turn the volume down and get some sleep. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think people are yearning for this type of work or yearning for a change of pace to what they're doing, but they just don't always know how to access it. So that comes across as like, they don't want it or don't care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So this is a nice kind of segue into when we had connected and we were talking about, I mean, there were so many things we could focus on when we got together today. And I was fascinated by this idea of the guided imagery that you were talking about. And you were talking about it, not only as something that you offer, but also sharing with the listeners, especially since so many of my teacher, my listeners are teachers, how they can integrate it into their teaching, or at least give them some ideas around it. So maybe give us a sense of like, what is this guided imagery experience that you offer? And a little bit about how teachers might be able to integrate it into their teaching. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you letting me talk about this because this is something that I could talk about for days. I won't for the sake of time, but something that I love doing, and I'll say this just right off the bat, even if you don't think you're creative, even if you don't think you're a writer, if you don't think you're a storyteller, Mm. I promise you, you can offer guided imagery to your students. Mm. And I think again, you know, is the fear keeping us alive or keeping us from living? We often create these blocks being like, oh, I'm not a creative person. I'm not artistic. Oh, I can't come up with this or that or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So just take that, you know, let it out of your mind Um, because one, it's not true. We are all creative beings. We can access this part of us. And two, I like to share tips that are very just kind of like easy. And I think one of the easiest ways to start integrating, I'll kind of start with your second question first, but Mm -hmm. one of the easiest ways to start integrating, whether it's, you know, guided meditation, or I will say if someone is kind of dabbling like restorative yoga or something like that, you could always throw a restorative yoga pose right at the end of the practice 
you know, before you go into Shavasana. And I find that guided imagery is a wonderful either opener or closer. So if you're helping people kind of, you know, let the external world fall away, come into their bodies, come into the space at the beginning of a practice, you can do just two, three minutes, do some guided imagery. The same works really well to help lead people to a different place or sorry, a deeper place in Shavasana. So I think those are the two easiest places to integrate this into your yoga classes, whatever style you're teaching. Right. That's what I was thinking. You could do it in any style, not necessarily just restorative. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think, and this is something even when I teach, you know, my power classes, which I do periodically do, or if I sub a class, something like that, um, usually the beginning or the end easiest place, it will seamlessly just fit, right? You're already talking to people, maybe having them connect with their breath. And what I tell people is guided imagery is just telling someone, telling your student a story. Mm-hmm. That story could be anything. It could be a story about their breath, right? And how their breath feels as it moves in and out of the body. It could mm-hmm. be a story, you know, what we think of as more classic guided imagery of a story where you are, you know, walking down a forest path and you feel the connection between your feet and the earth mm-hmm. and you are watching the leaves falling off the trees and it's making you think about, you know, how things come and go and how different seasons of life change. You can mm-hmm. tell someone, you know, a story about a pink light in your heart, that's opening your heart chakra. That is, you know, extending to everyone in the room. Mm. You can tell a story about anything you want and Mm -hmm. guided imagery is storytelling and your story can be short. It can be like the tiny little board books that my son plays with. Mm. It can be, you know, whatever the final Harry Potter book, you, Mm -hmm. you choose how long your story is, but if you're just starting to dabble in this, just tell them a little short story at the beginning or at the end. A few tips that I have when you are thinking about, oh, and this is where I tell people get out of your head. If you say you're not creative or anything like that, your best tool for telling these stories is your own personal practice and your memory. So Mm -hmm. if you once, let's say you want to do a more traditional guided imagery where you tell someone a story, take them to a beach or something like that. Just bring yourself personally when you're writing this to a time when you were at the beach, what were all of your senses doing? And just tell people that story. You're standing on the beach. You can smell the, you know, that very specific ocean Mm. water scent, right? What do you hear? I hear some seagulls. I can hear the waves. I hear some people chatting far in the distance. What do you feel? I feel, you know, that light breeze. I feel the sand between my toes. Mm -hmm. What do you, you know, do you taste anything? Do you, when you look around, what do you see? Oh, I see, you know, some seagrass poking up through the sand, right? Mm -hmm. You just tell them what you've experienced. And Mm -hmm. I imagine even just me describing that kind of just, you know, off the cuff, right? We can all now have an image in our mind of where I'd be standing. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. all I'm doing is just thinking about a time that I was at a beach and Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you that story. Um, When I say you pull from your own practice, that's something when I do my meditation practice, um, the example of having the pink light around the heart, if I'm, if I'm really working on kind of softening that heart center space, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's trying to release frustration, whatever it is, sometimes I will imagine, right. Heart chakra, pink and mm-hmm. open, sometimes green, but open, there's that light there and it's just big and abundant and vibrant. And it fills me up with love. Mm-hmm. So my people are laying in Shavasana and I say in your mind's eye, bring your awareness to your heart center and in this heart center, see a bright pink, vibrant light. It starts small, like a single 
candle, a flicker of a flame and begins to grow bigger with every breath you take, filling you with love and gratitude. Mm-hmm. That's it. You can just, you do that. You just leave them in Shavasana to kind of contemplate, work with that imagery for a few minutes, and then you can take them out. Mm-hmm. You're just telling a short little story. And sometimes, you know, if you just don't overthink it and you just use your own memory and your own personal practice, it really can be quite simple. Yeah. It's, um, it's beautiful to hear it. And I, I have a couple of different things that have popped into my mind. So I don't know if you remember there was this movie with Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton where they ended up together and they were in this house in the Hamptons or something. Okay, yes. He, yes. Had a, he kept having all these heart problems. Yes. And I don't know why, but when you were telling that story, I had this memory, I'm this huge movie buff of when he went into the ER the first time with like massive heart palpitations and the ER doctor was like, think of something peaceful right now. Like you need to be decreasing stress in your life. So she was essentially prescribing to him as she's like hooking him up to the IV. Um, you need to do some visualization like right now too. So what, one thing that I was thinking as you were talking is, you know, like my science mind turns on in part. And I think about um, just what some of the benefits and some of the reasons are for this versus coming to Shavasana and just letting people be. So I don't know if you want to just you know, even if it's just from your gut instinct or anecdotal experience, I mean, we can kind of go evidence-based or we can just go like, Hey, I mean, I think the listeners are going to get, obviously it has a positive impact, but I'm just wondering like the intentionality behind using a guided meditation in a Shavasana versus nothing. Like, what do we think that's doing for people? Like, I I guess I'm, I'm just asking. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I like you, I love science. Yeah. I love some good science. I also, I'm married to a doctor as I've, you know, oh, a couple right. times. Yeah. so he and I love to just have a good, you know, healthy debate about yeah, I'm just, you know, the I'm amygdala. Just and head, like, we're just, as you were describing it, I'm like, okay, so yeah. do we know that that has a positive effect on stress reduction or it gives the person on a cognitive level, something else, like in that funny example from the movie, something else to focus on that can affect their physiology. I don't know. I'm just, yeah. Yeah. So I'll share, I'll share a little science and also just some anecdotal too, because I do think sometimes it's important to not discount like that. It makes you feel good. Right. And like, it makes you truth to someone. And that's oftentimes the basis for a hypothesis that gets tested out. Yes down the road by somebody that is a wonder. I love the way you just put that. I'm going to like file that one. It was lovely. Yeah. But, um, so what we do know, and I'll talk a little bit more about what we know, what science tells us about the benefits of meditation. And the reason that I say that is because studies show us that anywhere from eight to 12 minutes a day of meditation is enough to change the way that your brain is, um, basically composed, right? We, we understand this idea of neuroplasticity. So the way that I say that is because even eight minutes, right? That's kind of close to a Shavasana length. Right. And we can be, even if it's a little bit shorter, you're still going to get these benefits. And I consider guided visualization as meditation because meditation itself is just single pointed concentration. Right. And they are concentrating on the story that you're telling. Mm -hmm. So what we know is that over time around, hmm, maybe we'll say six to eight weeks on average, the part of the brain associated with anxiety, worry, and pain, the amygdala, Mm -hmm. 
begins mm-hmm. to shrink. And the amygdala is like the drama queen of your brain. Yeah. And she, you know, is, is very dramatic. She's in charge of kind of that first fight or flight response, which chronic anxiety is just a light activation of fight or flight all the time. So mm-hmm. that part of the brain actually begins to shrink and the prefrontal cortex. So the front, if you're going to do like a face palm, Right. Um, the part that your, you know, palm is, is touching your forehead. It's that part of the brain that mm-hmm. is associated with like focus, concentration, emotion, regulation, and kind of this higher cognitive functions that, mm-hmm. that we want that part begins to, I joke, I say, it's, you know, the part of the brain you want to basically be like wrinklier and like, you know, bigger. Um, but you do it. So we start getting more gray matter in that part of the brain. We also have more folds so that there's more space for different synapses and neurological, um, or neural activity. And Mm -hmm. so not only do we know that it's physically changing the composition of our brain with just eight minutes daily, but we also know it's reducing blood pressure. It's reducing, um, stress related and like stress triggered illness. A lot of like heart disease, right. If that gets triggered through, um, having chronic stress. And we also know that it will improve your circulation and it decreases the natural atrophy and aging of the brain and the body itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was thinking too, about like cortisol, that the levels yes. of hormones go down as well. So, I mean, we're kind of sort of saying guided imagery and meditation are somewhat synonymous and, you know, our role as yoga teachers, if we intentionally, if we choose to use guided imagery in a Shavasana type situation is really to kind of give the person a singleness of focus, like a suggested one. And I guess on some level, we don't even know if they're listening. They could be using what we're providing to them, or they could be doing something, you know, they could be connected to something else and kind of tuning us out, which is, you know, which is totally fine as well. But I mean, it's kind of like you're offering them something to anchor onto. And I would think for someone who has you know, the Shavasana skippers, I know them well. Um, <laughs> and people who just have chronic stress and anxiety and just this hypertonicity of, of you know, on a synaptic level, it, it probably is a welcome relief to have somebody suggest to them, hey, let me guide you through this um, instead of having to sit there, lie there and be yeah. bombarded by all your thoughts. Yeah. And I will say, well, I have two thoughts that came up one, just a tip for anyone that has Shavasana skipper. So as a reformed Shavasana skipper, I will say that when you share, like, just consider when was the last time you told people why we do Shavasana and the importance of it. And I find that a lot of times people think it's, and this is similar to meditation. People are like, Oh, I, I don't, you know, I can't just like do nothing or I don't want to, you know, just, oh, I can't just turn my brain off. Right. People always tell me, oh, I, I am, you know, too ADD, yeah. too busy to meditate. And I'm always like, that's like saying you're too dirty to take a shower. Like, how are you going to remedy that situation? But I will say, if you do have a lot of people that are skipping Shavasana, maybe just, you know, just sprinkling in a couple nuggets of, of science of like what's actually happening, why we do Shavasana. Right. I also think of guided imagery too, as sort of like when you're bowling and you have like those bumpers to kind of keep, you know, the ball, Hmm. the bowling ball on track. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, for people whose minds do wander during Shavasana, which is a lot of us, Hmm. right. If you just kind of shut down, try to shut down 
the physical body, then the mind starts going, Oh, this is my time to shine Mm -hmm. and starts going in a million different directions, Mm -hmm. giving them kind of those bumpers to keep the bowling ball on track with guided imagery really, really helps people to get to a deeper part of Shavasana than if they're just sort of like left hands off and their mind starts, you know, thinking about what they're doing after writing their grocery list or whatever it is. And so I find it can be a strong and helpful vehicle to actually get people to where we want them to be in Shavasana. Yeah, I love that metaphor. I think that works really well. And I think for people who feel like they can't meditate or, you know, don't have the mind for it, it's a good kind of a training wheel uh, of sorts to get them kind of like, oh, wow, I am doing it. I am lying here. I'm not skipping Shavasana. And this feels however it feels. Um, So I know we have another topic, which is going to need a little bit of a segue. And I have a question about this guided imagery thing that might take us there. So for someone listening, a yoga teacher who is intrigued by this idea, although they might feel a little afraid to kind of step outside the somewhat safe place of cueing people uh, through the practice and then just leaving them, right? Because now you're suggesting not that we talk about ourselves, but that we kind of take a little bit more of a proactive role, which, you know, for some teachers, they might be afraid to do that. Like it might, as you say, bring up some concerns. I'm not super creative or, oh God, I'm going to be saying this and people are going to be laying there and I'm sure they're going to be judging what I'm saying or feeling like, why doesn't this teacher just shut up so I can just be like all these things that your head can go to. Mm -hmm. So how would you counsel them? What would you say to them? Yeah. So I think I would just encourage them to start simple, like Mm -hmm. so simple, and it's like with anything, right? You, you don't need to, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. And what I mean by that is you can, when you're in Shavasana, and I will say over time, you really start to find like your own personal balance between like mm. guiding in Shavasana and like leaving. So I'll usually like guide my people a little bit so I can really see they're getting to that that relaxed state. And then I kind of hands off, like leave them there for a little bit so they can really get kind of that internal work. I'm not speaking for all of Shavasana. Uh, or if I'm doing imagery at the beginning, I'm not speaking for like all of it. And with practice, you will start to find like your natural rhythm and cadence with that. But I always encourage teachers that are just starting to do this, to, like start so simple, like mm. just guide them through just their breath a little bit, have them say, you know, bring your awareness to your belly feel the natural rise and fall of the belly as you breathe in. And as you breathe out, every time you inhale, feel all of the goodness from the universe around you coming into your body. When you exhale, feel all that worry and stress and tension, leave the body, Mm. inhaling, bringing in all the goodness, exhaling, letting everything you don't need go. Just focus on that rise and fall of the belly. Mm. It's almost like the, what you're describing reminds me of a mantra, almost like if you think Mm -hmm. of a mantra and then you can build some kind of verbiage around it you know, you could even kind of use the mantra itself as kind of the anchoring theme and then just kind of build a little bit of substance around it, but just keep returning to that. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you also, I encourage people if they are trying to, and this is not a means to like plug my own podcast, you can find these guided meditations anywhere from anyone. But if you want to start doing this, I find it beneficial to listen to other people leading it. And I find that for me personally, to be really beneficial to kind of like kick off my own creativity or to be like, huh, I never thought about doing something like that or something like that. You can get the creative juices flowing. That may be beneficial. And when you were saying that this reminds you of like a mantra that 
kind of sparked a thought in me that doing like guided imagery is sort of like, you know, when you first start teaching and you don't feel very comfortable with like cues, like really like strong cues, you're just like inhale, arms up, exhale down, plant the hands, find a high plank, right? You're like calling out the poses. Um, and it takes a while to really get comfortable having like good, solid, strong, unique cues. Mm -hmm. I feel like doing guided imagery is similar where you just have to start somewhere Right. And you'll build your confidence up over time. You'll get more comfortable. You'll start like now, even when I'm like reading a book, I'll be like, oh, like illuminate. I love that word. And I'll kind of just like file mm -hmm. it away. And mm -hmm. then I'll be, you know, being like, oh, see this bright pink light, allow it to illuminate your body. And mm -hmm. you kind of just start like putting these things in the back of your mind and, and you build your toolbox and you get better with it over time. So just start simple mm. and just you know, then you can start to dabble a little bit where you don't have to go to a full 15 minute guided meditation or guided imagery journey, like up a mountainside to your true self and unlocking the secret of life, <laughs> right? Just start simple. And then, and over time you'll get more comfortable and your students will also start to adapt too. If you just start to sprinkle these little elements in, they'll yeah. just get used to that being a part of your teaching. They'll probably really enjoy it. Mm. And, and that'll become something that also, and I, you know, to kind of, I guess, parlay this into what we want to discuss as well, that will kind of give you something unique for your teaching and kind of be your own voice and right. your own flavor of teaching. And will give, you know, them a taste and a feel of like who you are as a teacher and right. that these little, these little moments of being able to add some imagery, to add a little something um, extra to Shavasana, like that is what helps to set you apart as a teacher and where you can infuse like your own personal elements into the practice. Yeah. And that is a great place to segue because as you're talking about this, you know, even though you're giving us, and I'm glad you mentioned your podcast as a resource, because as you were talking, I was thinking of asking you, do you have any tools that you could suggest? But I think listening to your podcast is probably an excellent way for listeners to get a sense of like ideas that maybe get their brain going in this direction. Um, and yeah, let's kind of make that segue. I, I feel like this other theme we were talking about around really finding your true voice as a teacher um, has always been kind of an underlying theme for teachers, especially because we go through training and we kind of come out of our initial training emulating who trained us. It's kind of a natural thing that happened, happens and we might even sound like them intentionally or unintentionally. And it takes a couple of years for us to find our own voice. Um, and I, I feel like there is always, I, I talked a little bit about this on my last episode with a good friend of mine, Patty Ivy, who coaches teachers and people just in general around self-limiting beliefs. So I feel like it, this piggybacks a little bit on that in terms of what sometimes gets in the way of us really sharing in a way that feels authentic to us. And as yoga teachers, we do kind of always have those safety bumpers up, like in the bowling alley, we can kind of stay in that somewhat protective zone and teach the pose and use the physical cues and not make it about us. And people will leave and say, that was great. But we might feel like, well, was, was I really in that? Was that really from me? Or was that just something they could have gotten off a recorded class? You know, I want, you know, a teacher might be like, I want to really share of myself, but I'm not sure how to do that. So, you know, 
I don't really know kind of where to begin with that. Any, any, even if you work with teachers and this comes up as a topic, maybe what are some things that come to mind for you? Yeah. So when I do like mentorships and things like that, and I work closely with yoga teachers, and I would say this is something that pops up even when I do like a weekend training and something, right. And, and this same theme always pops up. And the first thing that I do is I encourage teachers to do some self-reflection and mm -hmm. to really think about like one, like, what do I actually want to share? Mm. why am I teaching? And like, what do I have to give to my students? And mm. I, for me, that's the most important starting point because it's hard to, if you don't feel like you're connected to that true authentic self space, like how are you really going to share it? Or how are you going to share your voice if like you yourself don't know what you want to say. Mm -hmm. And I find that that's kind of like the first step is connecting to that space yourself. And it's okay if when you're doing that, you don't feel like you have a super clear picture. Right. But I think that when you start to connect to that part of you and you start really thinking about like, what do I have to say? Like, what, what do I want to say? What you know, kind of a teacher, what kind of an experience do I want to give my students? Like, how do I want them to feel when they leave class, like reflecting on some of these things, because you totally hit the nail on top of the head. It's like you leave a 200 hour, 300, 500 hour teacher training. You're going to sound like who trained you. I tell the people that do teacher trains with me. I'm like, okay, you know, you're, you're going to teach a class and you're going to sound like me. But in a few years, if I were to come back to your class, I shouldn't feel like you sound like me anymore. There may be elements, but you know, we really, at first, we kind of are just parroting to a degree what we've been taught. And that's, you know, the whole point of training and learning, but you have to really reflect and be like, okay, what, like in the case of my students, they may sound like me, but I want them to think about like, but what do I have to share? Like they know, they know what I personally as Kelly have to share with them. Cause I just shared it, but like now they're the teachers, like what, what do you have to share? And I always think that if people do some, not people, yoga teachers do some reflection on that at first, that that's really like the first step. Cause then you can get clear on actually like honing in to sharing that and finding your voice. But if we don't know, if you don't know what you want, how can you ever get there? Yeah, it's funny. This is going to really sound like a weird uh, connection, but I, um, last week and this week I'm participating in, um, a financial planning overhaul type workshop that's really focused on kind of forward planning, but based on things you can do now. I don't even want to say retirement. It's, it's more than that. It's how do you want to make an impact with what you're doing so that it's beyond just the transactions that you're having. Um, there's just a whole bunch to it, but in the training yesterday, the trainer was talking about before he was saying something like, before I even get into some of the tactics, you need to figure out what your why is. Like, why do you even care about this? Why do you even want to develop wealth and not even just wealth from the perspective of dollars, wealth from the perspective of living a fulfilled life? What does that mean to you? Blah, blah, blah. All of, all of similar things that you're talking about. And so it just reminds me when you're describing this process, what you would suggest for the, for the yoga teachers out there, it's kind of the same thing. It's almost like a mission statement. You have to kind of figure out what is your mission as a yoga teacher. It seems like you're suggesting like, who do I 
want to help? Why do I want to help them? Similar to your story, you have a very clear origin story and connection to what you do. And it seems like that can help teachers listening to maybe kind of get the ball rolling to identify that. And then from there, what does it look like? All right, so I've done that inner work, I've journaled, I've meditated, I've done my walks on the beach, maybe I've invested in some coaching, you know, mentoring, that kind of thing. And now I'm a teacher, I have a better sense of how do I wanna come across? Who do I wanna serve? What's my like zone of genius? Um, and I'm still yet feeling kind of afraid to do that. Or maybe I'm feeling like I'm ready because now I have an agenda of sorts, not in a bad way, but in a good way. So I don't know any thoughts on that. Yeah, I think questioning everything. And what I mean by that is like, almost like when you're meditating, right. And you're supposed to become like an observer of your thoughts and you're Mm -hmm. kind of supposed to do like a thought audit. Mm-hmm. be like an observer of your teaching. And I, I, for me personally, this shows up a lot when I, I just had this like aha moment early on in my teaching career in which I was teaching down dog and I was using cues and I was like, does it really feel like that in my body? Mm-hmm. I was like, no, it doesn't like that cue doesn't make sense to me. That's not how it feels in my body. That's mm-hmm. what my teacher always said. And so I'm I'm saying that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I tried to be more just like curious and observe my mm-hmm. teaching that I was like, well, how would I describe down dog? Right. And then I'd be like, you know, it feels like this in my body. And mm-hmm. then I would start describing it from a more authentic place using my own words of how it actually right. feels in my body, as right. opposed to just saying you know, what I'd heard other teachers say and be like, well, I don't know, this is, must be how you describe like down dog. And it wasn't until that moment that I took the time to be like, do I really think that? Or do I actually like that cue? No, I don't. So why am I using it? And I think just being more aware of like your teaching and, and kind of calling yourself out a little bit to the places where like, do I actually feel that way? Is that really how it feels in my body? Is that something that I actually want to share or here's a really common one does that make sense because sometimes like I you know for me personally sometimes I go to yoga classes I'll hear a yoga teacher say something I'm like I don't understand what you're saying and it's and it's not because it's never because that teacher is you know really trying to find their voice and you know do something you know very like avant-garde that's not it it's it's usually because it's not actually like their cue and so it, it doesn't make sense right yeah, it's funny. You you're really talking about preaching to the choir. I mean, I actually have a whole ebook called Understanding the Why Behind the Cue. And it's mm-hmm. a lot of my philosophy because I specialize in teaching anatomy. Yes. Is around speaking from your knowledge versus repeating what you've been told to say, or in your training, when you're learning what to say, deferring to the mentor and not saying, but I don't understand that. Can you explain? So for the listeners out there who have been listening to my podcast for a while, they're going to think that I somehow co-opted with you to have you (laughs) go into that whole little blurb, but I didn't, which is really kind of amazing. Um, So I can totally get where you're coming from. And it also reminds me of, and this is something that, uh, you know, talk about calling yourself out. I'm always on the lookout for this in myself. And I really encourage when I work with teachers to do the same thing, 
is a lot of like the things yoga teachers say, you know, and, and this is not to call out anybody and make them feel badly. I just feel like there are a lot of things that just kind of have become sort of rote phrases in the context of teaching. Um, even something like if, if such and such is in your practice, go ahead and do it rather than saying, and now we're going to do this and let me show you how to do it. You know, kind of that approach to leaving it up to the person and whether or not that particular example is, you know, there's no right or wrong, just the idea that it's almost like the telephone game, things get kind of passed on and passed on as, well, you say this then, and you say, and I feel in what you're saying that sometimes for teachers that they can feel a disconnect. Like I'm saying this thing because it's stuff that I've heard over the years as a student, doesn't really feel like me saying it from an intention. It's just like I'm repeating it. So yeah. there's a disconnect between me as an authentic being and sharing from that place and this other experience, which is kind of a dissociated one. Yeah. I always think of it as, am I teaching or am I performing? And mm -hmm. I, I always want to be teaching. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, it happens to all of us. We're humans, right? Sometimes we show up and we're like, gosh, was I like kind of performing a little bit and like showing mm -hmm. up and performing the role of yoga or meditation teacher. Right. Sometimes even to this day, I find myself, I'm like, you know, that wasn't necessarily like my best. And, right. and one, before I dive into that one thing that I want to say is when I talk about, and, and, and I think Karen, you were alluding to this too, when you are being, you know, kind of holding yourself accountable in a way, be kind with yourself when you do it. This is not to be like, oh, I'm the worst teacher. Oh, I do use that. Like one phrase that I hear all the time is root to rise. And like, I get, I get what they're saying. I get it. But I'm like, is that the only way that we know how to tell someone to basically like extend our bodies and, you know, two opposing directions? I don't know. And sometimes I want to be like, well, you know, is there another way to say it? Maybe, but just be soft with yourself. Be kind with yourself when you're doing like, be inquisitive about it and be like, Hmm, like try to have some fun with it. Be like, do I really feel like, you know, does root to rise really resonate with me? Does that make sense with me? Or should I say, right. you know, ground down through the feet and extend up through the crown of the head? Yeah. Does that sound more authentic to me? Just yeah. be, you know, be kind to yourself as you're doing this. Cause we also have such a tendency to be really hard on ourselves Absolutely. and you know, that's human nature, but you know, try to try to, you know, not go down that rabbit hole if you can as, as much as possible, but what, um, going back to the point of teaching versus performing. So I always want to like be present and be engaged with my students and I want to be teaching them something. And so that means that every time I'm, you know, teaching or leading a yoga class, something a little bit different is going to come out of my mouth because I'm trying to teach. I'm not just showing up as the, you know, and giving my best performance of yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I could do that. I could show up and give my best performance of yoga teacher. I'd probably use phrases like root to rise and, you know, other, other common kind of sure. like yoga teacher catchphrases, right. but I want to be teaching. So I want to be like looking around and being like, you know, um, you're, when you're in a warrior too, right. Just being like, connect with your feet on the mat. Like if, you know, if you, when you see people that, you know, are, are very, I mean, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, they're doing a very warrior two from like the belly button up. It's like, we've forgotten about like, you know, belly mm -hmm. button and below that, that it's a full body expression pose. Okay. So you might see that. And then 
give a cue or something that is like teaching them something. Right. Right. And so that's why I think like teaching versus performance. Yeah. And it sounds like what you're saying is to do that, you need to be present and see your students. So that's kind of one source of inspiration for making it your own is actually seeing your students. And, you know, for people listening who might think, well, I'm teaching primarily online right now. So sometimes it's hard for me to actually see my students. Um, You know, I think that that's a reality and there are ways to kind of work around that. Um, There was something else. Oh God, I had another thought that you had triggered in my mind, but I can't remember. It'll come to you. It'll come to you. And I, and I think that when we're talking about like teaching, it's important to know that like you can very much have a teaching moment in a yoga class that has nothing to do with the body. Cause I hear this as well too, right? That, and it is 100% a challenge. I find it sometimes challenging to teach particularly yoga classes online, mostly because I'm not like there with that student and their body in the moment. But that doesn't mean you can't teach them, you know, about something else about, um, you know, their breath or teach them about, um, you know, even like you can incorporate some philosophy here, like the yamas or the niyamas and talk about, um, you know, teach them about, you know, pratyahara withdrawal of the senses, right? We're going to take a journey inward. You can mm-hmm. still teach them something that is very authentic to you that right. your students can use that have nothing to do with their physical bodies. Right. Yeah. And I think too, when you were mentioning teach, you were making the distinction between being a teacher um, and performing it reminded me of this, or it made me think of the idea of when you're teaching, I almost think back to like a lesson plan, like as a teacher, an academic teacher, you have a lesson plan. So you go into your class with an intention. And so I guess what I'm wondering is not so much setting an intention from a spiritual context, which we often talk about, um, more from the, the perspective of having a purpose to the class you're going to teach. Do you feel that that can be a source for the teacher of connecting to that teacher in them versus just showing up with no preparation and just, you know, going from that, leaning into that kind of performance, even if it doesn't feel like performance, it's just, well, I'm just going to do the same thing that I always do. Yeah. I, me personally, I never wing it ever. I, in my 10 years of teaching, I don't think maybe I, you know, never say never. I could probably count on one hand, the number of times that, you know, I've just kind of winged it or felt like I kind of, you know, just went through the motions and it, and it was never very good, but those definitely weren't my best classes. I personally, I never wing it. I never go in blind. I always go in with whether, you know, I I love your use of intention or I usually just call it a plan or, you know, whatever it is. Like I go in having already thought about like, what do I want to teach and share? Mm. what do I want? And, and, and I, I do usually have like a pretty solid, like, you know, I even plan out, you know, flows and things like that. Um, when I teach restorative yoga, because there's less poses, you really have to rely on your words for that. Cause you can't just say, okay, go into this pose. I'll see you in eight minutes, right? You have to really kind of have a plan for what you're going to have your people be doing, you know, while they're in that pose. But I always have a plan and 
a big part of that is because I want to feel prepared. I find it easier to access that teacher part of me when I go in. Just I love your, um, you know, how you say that makes me think of like a, a class plan, right? Or if we think about like a traditional teacher, like in a classroom, my mom, who's a kindergarten teacher, she doesn't just, you know, show up every day and go, okay, five and six-year-olds, what do you want to do today? I thought of it because my mom was a nursery school teacher for 30 yes. years. So yes. under the pandemic, I actually created a preschool pod program. So I was teaching because I teach kids yoga as well. Yeah. So I was making a full lesson plan because I couldn't show up and just teach them yoga for three hours. So I needed to have a plan. So yeah, yeah. It was where I went there with it. Yes. And so just for my personal teaching, and this is from, you know, my own reflection, figuring out how do I work best? I need a plan. I like to be organized, but I also then I go in with direction and clarity. And it's not to say I don't ever deviate. I do all the time. But if I go in even with a general framework of being like, you know, today I really want them to feel, you know, I want to talk about um, riding the breath like an ocean wave. I want people to feel, you know, like they are, you know, the breath is starting a moment before the movement starts. And even if that's kind of like, like that's really what I want. Like, what do you want people to take away from class today? We don't just want them to feel good and to feel like they moved their body through, you know, the range of motion. And, you know, maybe they found like they got a little break from their busy day. Of course we want that. And hopefully they're getting that, but like, what else, like, what do you want them to take away from class that day? And I feel like that's such a good starting point because that can only come from you. Like what, again, what do you have to share? Right. Like what, you know, and and then you have to share it from your own voice and from your own perspective, because it's coming from you. Right. And the cool thing about that is, it is coming from you. So it's an opportunity to share from you. However, because you're not talking about yourself, it's you shining through, coming through a theme that's agnostic to the person. So it is unique to you, but it's not like you're standing there saying, and I went to the beach and this is how I felt. And this is what I heard and saw. And there was this guy, blah, 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 blah. Right. It's just bubbling it up to general theming. Yes. And don't you love that though? When you go to a yoga class and they're like, wow, I got into a fight with my boyfriend before I came here today. I'm feeling very frustrated. So today we're going to work on frustration. And it's not to say you can't pull from your life experience. There's absolutely been times where my theme of wanting people to learn how to navigate through frustration definitely came from someone who just really irritated me, but we don't always have to share that. Right. Exactly. It's about them. It's not about us, but I do kind of chuckle inside a little bit when it's like, you get the whole like life story of, of the, the class plan. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that, you know, you're, you're so right that it's just like, it's about the student and it's about, you know, sharing with them, but you can pull from your own inspiration and your memories and your senses and what's going on in your life. And if it's something you're learning in your life, other people probably could use that same kind of lesson or are struggling. I mean, who doesn't struggle with frustration? Right. Right. Who doesn't struggle with sometimes connecting to their breath, especially during times of stress, right? Like these are things that if it's impacting you in your life, it's probably impacting your students as well. Right. And what a great source of ideas, you know, similar to when you were saying ideas for guided imagery, they could listen to your podcast and also just kind of open your eyes to like, especially I live in New England right now. There's so many sounds and things for the eyes that, you know, are inspirational and can be used, you know, crunching of leaves under your feet and all that kind of stuff. So I could 
certainly if I took a moment or two, probably think of a number of things that I could share that are themed around, you know, kind of what I'm experiencing right now as the listeners can probably do as well. Um, so as we kind of wrap up here, maybe a, a good place to kind of go to is I definitely want people to find out how they can connect with you. And, you know, especially if they're intrigued by some of these ideas, how they can work with you and, and find out more about your, your programs. Um, are there any kind of closing thoughts you have around maybe um, next steps that teachers can take around either of these ideas for integrating guided imagery and kind of putting themselves out there a little bit more, any just kind of action items if they feel like, okay, just tell me what are two things I can do in the next 30 days or something. <laughs> sure. So one thing that you can do is just do it. So what I mean by that is actually take the action to try to incorporate, let's say two minutes of guided imagery in your next Shavasana. Okay. And, and that it, it truly can be that simple. Just, you have to start somewhere. And so one action item would be just give it a try. Mm -hmm. Two, you two minutes. Write it down prior to the class to kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. You can write it down. Then you get to Shavasana. Even if you want to, you know, you're nervous, you could write a little note. Everyone's there. Eyes are closed. Pull out your little note and read right. it. Right. And Good so, idea. yeah. So just doing it just two minutes, right. Kind of just, just dip your toes in and do mm -hmm. that. And then. The other action item that you can do is I would challenge you to look at the things that you find yourself always saying in a yoga class. We all have those things, you know, that we find ourselves saying all the time. I challenge you to identify one and in your next yoga class, try to say it in a different way. So for me, I always say, um, bring your awareness into the space, into the room, close your eyes, turn the gaze inward. Mm -hmm. That's just something I find myself saying. All the time. It's something that's very authentic to me. If I were doing my own exercise, I'm trying to get people to become present and to, you know, turn inward, but I would challenge myself to try to come up with the same idea and same sentiment, but saying it a different way to get me thinking kind of in a different way. So maybe, you know, I would say, um, you know, take a moment and let go of anything that happened earlier today, anything that's coming up later today, just be here in this moment, let the external world fall away and begin to connect with your heart center or soul space right. or something like that. Right. And so those are two things that I feel like can get the ball rolling because often just getting that first kind of little bit of that ball rolling is the hardest part. And it gets you thinking differently, which when you're trying to not only work with imagery, but also finding your voice, you have to start kind of thinking outside of the box a little bit and questioning everything and just being like an observer of what you're doing and then to start shaking it up a little bit. Great. No, I, I think there's there's certainly a lot that people can work with with just those two things. I mean, I think that will keep give us a focus for weeks, weeks to come. Um, and then tell us how for the listeners who want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Your website, and then if you have any upcoming programs or anything that they might be interested in. Yeah. So if you're feeling called to work with me, um, I'm very flattered. And happy to hear that. Um, you can just go to my website. It's yogafreeonline.com. Just have a fun little peek around there. Do a little, you know, click, click. I do, I don't necessarily have anything super specific coming up 
really recently, I offer a meditation teacher training twice a year. Um, the next time will be in the winter session in January. There's a winter session, a summer session. Um, if someone wants to cultivate their own personal practice, which I highly recommend as a teacher, I do have two meditation retreats coming up um, in 2022, one in Hawaii, one in Ireland. So if someone wants to do something for them, I don't know about you, but I often find I teach so much yoga and meditation. It's like, when was the last time I did something for my practice? Yeah. So if you're feeling called to do that, I would love to have you. Otherwise, just go on my website or follow me on Instagram. I answer my DMs. Um, so if you have a question about anything I talked about or you just want to connect, um, my handle is at yoga for you online. Just send me a message. We can okay. So on Instagram, it's not Kelly Smith. It's, it's yoga for you online. Got it. And then and, when you click it, then it'll say Kelly Smith. Got it. And then the name of the podcast you have is? Yeah, it's called Mindful in Minutes. Mindful in Minutes. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, it was absolutely lovely to talk to you and meet you and spend time with you. I really appreciate it. And I know the listeners are going to love it. And I just really am grateful that we connected. Oh, well, I'm really grateful for you. And I appreciate you letting me come. And there's oh. nothing I love more than just chatting yoga and yoga teachers. Oh, it makes my day. Of course. Well, awesome. Awesome. Today is Wednesday. This is actually going to go live on Monday. So I'll be sending the link to you. Cool. Sounds good. And then I'll, I'll share it in all the places. Awesome. All right. Cool. Namaste. All Thank right. You so yes. Much. Namaste. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Before you go, I want to let you know about a new mini course I just created as of October, 2021. It's called the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program mini course. It's essentially an introductory version to my signature program that teaches you anatomy so that you grow your confidence in sharing cues and sequences and in all those conversations you have with your students. If you're like some of the yoga teachers I speak to, you might feel as if you don't have the time to do my full program. That's one of the main reasons I created this mini course which will give you all the same steps in my signature blueprint approach to teaching you anatomy and will allow you to complete it in much less time. There are 10 modules each of about 10 minutes each and the entire program walks you through mini lessons from the larger program. You'll leave with specific new skills that you can start to use right away. You may also leave with a keen interest in enrolling in the larger program because your curiosity and confidence have been stoked. For you, the podcast listener, I'm offering $5 off the purchase price of the mini program, which is just priced at $27, so the cost will go down to $22 for you. Once you complete the mini course, you'll see in the next step section how to get a $50 credit to put towards the larger program should you decide to invest in that in the future. To purchase the mini program, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com, click the link for online courses and select the mini course link. When you check out before you enter your credit card, enter the code podcast and you will receive the $5 off. I hope you enjoy the program. I hope it stokes your curiosity and builds your confidence. Namaste.